Thanks for joining us on a Friday night edition of the Locked on Nets podcast, a special crossover episode with Brendan Clean of Locked on Suns. We are talking the Nets acquisition of former son, Alan Sauce Williams, Spencer Dinwiddie potentially getting dealt to Phoenix, and the two longest non-Kings rebuilds in the NBA. All that and more next on the Locked on Nets podcast. You are Locked on Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And now we welcome on Brendan Clean. Brendan, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Yeah, perfect timing. We had planned to do this, just talk Spencer Dinwiddie and kind of, you know, bad NBA teams, I guess you could say. And then the Alan Williams news kind of fell into our laps here. So I'm excited to talk all that stuff. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely... It's definitely thrilling. Uh, before we even got started on that, I, I wanted to get kind of into your history because we both actually went to the same college and and didn't know each other in school. I'm, I'm two years older than you, um, I, I assume, or at least two years ahead in school. And uh, we, we both went to the Cronkite School of Journalism in Arizona. I frequently reference my, uh, my son's years on this podcast. I frequently talk about being a not-so-closeted Suns fan. My co-host, Josh, uh, cast me out to dry by openly acknowledging that I was rooting for the Suns when we went to a Suns-Nets game earlier this year. So I'm, I'm, I'm 100% on your side of this. But I, I just wanted to see like how you ended up uh, covering basketball, how you ended up on Cronkite, and then how you ended up covering the Suns specifically. Yeah, well, I mean, to start with the Cronkite thing, I, I mean, I'm born and raised in Phoenix, so I knew I wanted to do journalism, and it was pretty lucky that I went to – or I was able to go to a school right in my hometown that's one of the better ones in the whole country, as I'm sure you would agree. And so, yeah, I mean, got started there. And then, you know, we all kind of take our own route to get to this uh, this locked-on experience here. But, yeah, okay. I, I started with SB Nation's Bright Side of the Sun blog and um, just, you know, doing the, the grind of, of getting it all done. But, no, I've been a Suns fan my whole my whole life. Are you are you excited? I think media days in like a week or two. Are you are you going to go to that? They always have like good giveaways at Suns Media Day, which is what I'm usually most excited about. Last year we got a nice drawstring bag. Yeah, All I'll right. be there for sure. I'll, I might even head up to Flagstaff to see their some of their training camp because they're pretty open about letting media in. There. So yeah, I'm heading up to probably heading up to Flagstaff to see some of their training camp practices. They're usually pretty open with that stuff. So yeah, we're, we're in the swing of everything right now. The season's fast approaching and hopefully some, some reason for optimism this year in Phoenix. I got, I got a purple sun's hat two years ago. I never know if it's a conflict of interest to take the stuff, but I figured I was like, I I was like a pseudo journalist. Like I, am pretty sure I, I I see like the Arizona Republic guy take it every year. So I was, I always thought it was kosher. All right. uh, I'll use it as like a a book bag or something. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's too bad. It's like free promotion for them. It's like free stuff for us. It's it's really. And I don't think it affects anyone's coverage because I think Suns coverage is generally uh, pretty pretty reasonably negative. I would say, and it's it's exciting. (laughs) It's excited when it needs to be, but like nobody's like like you don't you don't get the bag or the hat, and suddenly you're like, you know what, Dragon Bender might be an all star in two years. Exactly. Screw it. This team's making the playoffs. Yeah, I think that was, it's fine. I'm going way, way too far down this road. We only got like 25 minutes, but I remember like when, when I was, when I was at Cronkite, like I, me and three friends did like a, um, a radio show on the NBA, but like it was, it was really focused on the Suns and like every year we would just be way too high on them coming into the season. Like it was never like outrageous. It wasn't like they were going to win a title, but there were like so many times when it was like, yeah, they could, they could win like the last two years. Like they could win 40 games and like, it just, it never came close to happening. And I, I it's an annual trip. 
for sure. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is. It's um, I'm glad I'm glad it wasn't just us. All right. Anyways, the um the big news of the day, big big and operative term. Uh, the Nets signing Allen Williams, Allen Sauce Williams, I should say, to a two way deal. Um, his his best season in the NBA came in 2016 17. He he was he was really quite effective that season. Seven point four points per game, six point two rebounds on nearly 52% shooting in only 15 minutes a game, played 47 games that season. So in not insignificant sample size, you you space that out to 36 minutes a game. That's up to 17 and a half points for uh, nearly 15 rebounds, which is just outrageous. Again, I don't, I don't necessarily think those numbers are sustainable and he obviously didn't play much last season, but I, I just, I wanted to get it from you. Do, do you think he's an NBA rotation guy? I think he, there's a chance he is. I think maybe more likely is that he's an end of the bench guy, but but definitely somebody who sticks on rosters for bulk The reason you mentioned he didn't play much last year, and he was out with injury almost the entire season. He came back maybe the last two three weeks, and and even then didn't play every single night. So the reason that he had to go from the Suns' perspective is that injury didn't allow him to, you know, show him that show the team rather that he had earned another year, and they were owed him. They they would have owed him five million dollars. That you know, we're talking about a guy who you just asked if he's a rotation guy. I'm saying maybe he's an NBA player. Uh, five million dollars is a whole heck of a lot. So that's really the reason, not anything about his talent. Yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm generally with you on that. To me, I, I don't necessarily see a dramatic difference between him and a guy like Julio Okafor, who was obviously on this Nets roster last season and was very effective offensively, was an absolute train wreck on the defensive end. And Allen Williams, maybe that's not giving him enough credit. I mean, obviously that 2016-17 season is far and away our most significant sample size of him as a player. And that year he actually had a plus seven net rating, which when you consider his teammates is is genuinely pretty astounding, but I, I I don't know. I'm I'm kind of I'm 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 generally with you. I'm not really sold on him being a rotation guy unless there are some injuries. But hey hey, you never know. Yeah, I think defensively to kind of touch on that. Like I think he's a guy who, I mean, anyone who watches the NBA knows a lot of the battle on defense is just to try play with energy. Uh, you know, try to be in the right places. Use your body like. Simple things like that, he's going to do. He's never going to take a playoff. Like that, that stuff that we tend to like keep on players that maybe don't deserve it. He's the the complete package as far as that stuff goes. He's like the best bench cheerleader in the league, and it it definitely holds over when he takes the, the court. So he's a guy who's you know from a defensive perspective not not as big as a lot of centers, maybe not as tall and athletic, but. He's going to try, and I think that's you know more than anything the reason that I think maybe he does improve. Maybe he's a better player in a little while than we even saw from him two seasons ago when he played. Right, and traditionally those are the types of guys the Nets, at least under Sean Marks, want to take a chance on. They're trying to build a Spurs-esque culture, and if, if you go through even, even those Spurs title teams, uh, on the back end of their rosters and even on the back end of their rotation, they had all, all these guys like uh, Matt Bonner, classic example, who probably wouldn't be NBA players in any other context, but they just had talent to cover them up everywhere else. And they were such good guys and they really excelled in hyper-specific roles and, and settings and were okay just coming in for 10 minutes of one playoff game and maybe flipping that playoff game by hitting a few threes or, or just being um, a human victory cigar, which you could argue uh, Matt Bonner was was the embodiment of. 
But I, I, either way, like they're they're okay having those guys on their roster. So that that is is I think the argument for making it. I, I would personally prefer if the Nets kept someone like Theo Pinson, who has a little bit of upside as a two way wing, versus Alan Williams, who I would say is is something of a known entity at this point. Uh, anyways, that'll uh, wrap up our first segment. When we come back, we will get into the meat of this podcast and uh, talk about Spencer Dinwiddie, arguably the Nets' best player last season, potentially becoming a Phoenix Sun. All right, uh, let's get into it. There, there have been rumors abound of the Phoenix Suns chasing a point guard. They don't necessarily have an established one after trading Brandon Knight, uh, unless you think it's too generous to call Brandon Knight an established NBA point guard. Then you could say they never had one, though I'll, I'll be nice to Brandon Knight and say they did. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, at least in my mind, is is pretty high up on, on the list of options that are feasibly available to the Nets. Like, on one hand, deepest position in the NBA. On the other hand, that makes it so competitive that teams can't really bear to part with their starters. Um, what, what, do you, what do you think about him potentially being a Brooklyn Net? Or, you know what, even, even before we get into that, um, how, how desperate just in general do you think Phoenix is to get a point guard? It's the biggest question that, I mean, Evan and I are locked on Suns. If, if we don't restrain ourselves, we could do 45 minutes a day just complaining about not understanding what the plan is there. So I think it's a huge priority. Uh, it's concerning that they waited until, or that maybe, you know, situation forced them to, but that they didn't even make any sort of move at the position, uh, making kind of showing their hand at all until the very end of August, giving themselves three, four weeks to, to solve the problem that they created for themselves, which, as you said, is kind of having no one. Who, who would be the starter today if they were to open the season right now? A guy that no one in Brooklyn probably knows. His name's Shaq Harrison. Um, Woj, in his report the night of that Brandon Knight, Ryan Anderson deal, mentioned that the Suns, this is a guy who played a handful of games, a couple dozen games at the very end of last season. Uh, was a G-leaguer the rest of the year and really showed out in a way on defense especially, but is not a proven guy, is not an offensive, uh, really can't do much of anything on offense. But Woj mentioned that the Suns had bigger plans for him this year, and that was part of their uh, part of their reasoning for that that night trade. And now he's kind of the top of the depth chart, but that's that can't, that, there's no way that that makes it to training camp. At least if it does, it's a big problem. Yeah, I, I know watching Suns games at like 2 in the morning East Coast time last year, I, I always perked up a little bit when he came into the game. He was really a menace defensively. And the thing is going up and down this Suns roster, like I, I like the two-way versatility just of a lot of guys on their team. And obviously it, it's not going to be a finished product next year. Devin Booker's injury is potentially another setback. But it does feel like if, if you just inserted like a league average point guard in this team, they would be fun, and maybe if they were in the Eastern Conference, they'd be a, a pseudo-playoff contender, as things stand. That's not realistically going to happen out West. Just, just given that dynamic, but also the factor that Robert Sarver is clearly ready for the tank to be over and for this team to be somewhat competent, do you think they'd potentially be willing to give up a first-round pick for a player of Spencer Dinwiddie's caliber, and obviously not one of their own, but they, they still, I believe, have that Bucks pick that they could potentially trade? Yeah. I think that, yeah, Evan and I did an episode couple weeks ago where we just quickly rifled through like who's who's realistically gettable we landed on Didwitty among other people uh, across the league and a local reporter here has mentioned in Witty as a guy that the Suns have targeted over the last couple weeks and so yeah I think he's he's a clear target and I mean you you tell me really like we kind of 
settled on exactly that Bucks pick um, as kind of the main chip or, you know, really the, the, the only chip maybe, depending on what the trade looked like, to get Dinwiddie just because of how young he is and how much uh, he's grown really as a net. Like, is that kind of where things would have to start in your mind from the Nets perspective? Yeah, no, I, I generally believe that would that'd be the starting point. I don't, I don't think the Nets would trade him for anything less than a first-round pick, and obviously he fell off pretty significantly by the end of last season, and I think it was a product of him facing a workload that he hadn't come anywhere close to dealing with at any point in his career prior to last season, and the fact that he got shifted to the bench and the ball was taken out of his hand with D'Angelo Russell returning from injury. But in the first half of the year, it would be a stretch to call him a borderline all-star, but he was clearly the best player on a Nets team that wasn't totally terrible, and his ability to run an offense, to hit an open three, to manipulate a defense game in and game out was was simply astounding given what he had done earlier in his career. And and the thing is, like, I, I, there's this perception that it's kind of a short bet the Nets are going to entrust their future with D'Angelo Russell. They're going to look to trade Spencer Dinwiddie. Shabazz Napier is going to be the low-priced backup. I'm not necessarily sure it's going to go that way. D'Angelo Russell didn't show enough last season to deserve that kind of stability. And the fact of the matter is, if he doesn't improve defensively, you can argue just at this point in their career, Spencer Dinwiddie is a better career. It's obviously Russell has more talent. Russell has more upside. I think at the same age, Russell will be better than him. But I think if Russell doesn't prove it, it's probably not worth keeping him and trying to sign him to a big extension. And the Nets could consider making Dinwiddie a much cheaper and perhaps much more, I guess, efficient option. Um, as their point guard of the future, and then maybe they look to trade Russell instead. So that's maybe an alternative path the Suns can go. But I, I guess my big picture point with all this is I'm not, I'm, I'm of the opinion the Nets wouldn't trade Dinwiddie at least until 15, 20 games into the season and seeing what Russell will be. Could the Suns potentially afford to wait that long, or would they move in a different direction if they couldn't get the, their point guard preseason? Well, here's the thing. I mean, I think if they were really desperate, and that's part of the, the concern on our side, is like if they were as desperate as I would be in Ryan McDonough's shoes, then I think we would have seen a deal already. I think that, you know, every player, especially like, you know, we're, we're not talking about the Suns trying to go out and trade for Stephen Curry. Like these are gettable players. If there's a price that you can reach that any team will trade these guys for, right? I mean, you mentioned something as it's not nothing, but the Bucks pick is probably going to be in the low twenties. You'd guess like, yeah. that's not a crazy, crazy asset to have to give up. If the Suns, um, really were desperate. I think we would have seen them go to that point already. So I think the concern now is that I don't think that they should go into the, into the season without somebody, but they seem content maybe to do that. Um, and the other thing I would mention kind of spawned to how to see their point guard situation. It's lucky from Sean Mark's perspective, or, you know, maybe you give him a little more credit. Maybe it's a, lot, a whole lot more than luck, but the fact that Russell and Dinwiddie line up that way is perfect. And, um, that they have this year, one more year to kind of judge it. You'd hope both of those guys are healthy and can show their maximum potential to make that decision from, you know, the Suns kind of weighing in from their side of it. Brian McDonald loves to trade for those restricted free agents. So I think that's a, an area where Dinwiddie has some appeal for sure. McDonough has done that throughout his tenure with the Suns where he'll swoop in and get a young guy and then have that bargaining power. We saw it with Eric Bledsoe. We saw it with Brandon Knight. And so I, I do think that's one thing that kind of gives the Dinwiddie side of the, you know, there's maybe five or six guys the Suns have talked about, I guess, from the reports. I think Dinwiddie, you know, one thing that makes him a more likely candidate in my mind is that he 
kind of fits the mold of the type of guy, the type of contract that Ryan McDonough has targeted throughout his, what, six years here now. Yeah, yeah. the contrast, as I see it in Phoenix, is that this team clearly wants to be competent. Like, I don't I don't think there's any argument about that. They're, they're tired of being, like, for lack of a better term, the laughingstock of the NBA. And, and simultaneously, like, the Western Conference is so loaded that even if you get a Patrick Beverly or a Spencer Dinwiddie, like, aren't, are you better than anyone other than Sacramento and, and maybe Dallas? Like, does that really swing your season so much that it's, it's worth giving up an asset in that Bucks pick? I, I guess that's why, for my money, like, if you're Ryan McDonough and if you're going to do this, you have to get someone who you think could be part of the roster going forward and could be your starting point guard uh, pending the development of uh, Elliot Kobo, who a guy, a guy we really like on Locked on Nets, who we did, like, a full podcast on. Yeah, he's great. I think I think that is one of the only reasons why I could see. I still feel like they have to try to get some sort of stopgap. Um, there's just no free agents really left. Like they waited too long. That's that's really the problem here. But I think that they should still get some sort of stopgap guy. But the fact that they have a Kobo, the fact that they have Shaq Harrison, and you know, like you mentioned, Devin Booker's missing training camp at this point, and perhaps well, likely a few games to start the regular season. They have him as well at that spot, right? So he's going to be able to make plays and kind of be the primary ball handler a lot of the time that he's on the court. So the need for a straight-up like Ricky Rubio-type heavy distributing type of point guard isn't really there. So they can be a little bit more flexible in who they put opposite him. I just think that they don't have enough talent in the backcourt. You can call the position whatever you want, but that's really the problem. So I think that you're exactly right, that they're going to want a guy who they can develop alongside Booker and somebody who is young and who does fit. They're not just going to go out and get anyone to, to you know, just patch the hole. But I think that, the, you know, the real problem is that, like you mentioned, they're, they're a team that clearly wants to start winning, but you, you just can't win with as little talent as the Suns currently have in the backcourt. There's no way to really make a sizable improvement from last year without addressing that in some way. What, what, what do you think long-term is, like, the ideal, like, archetype of a point guard you'd want next to Booker? Like, is it another 3-and-D guy? Is it someone like a Kobo who, I guess, I guess does kind of potentially fit that mold? I'm not quite sure how he projects defensively, though. He seems like he could be solid. He, he can obviously shoot. Like, is he is he kind of just, like, in terms of just, like, a type of player, like the guy you'd want next to Devin Booker long-term? Yeah, I think so. I think it's somebody who's going to be able to cover up for Booker a little bit, probably, you know, hopefully guard both guard spots depending on you know night to night which is the more pressing matchup the one you want to hide booker from the most and then somebody who knowing that booker's going to have the ball in his hands even as the nominal you know shooting guard two guard in a lineup can knock down open shots spotting up off the ball so yeah i think you you know everyone knows the names the patrick beverly types even Corey joseph is someone we've talked about a lot Mm. uh for this season just as somebody who is probably expendable in indiana and can do the smaller stuff that Booker, you know, needs somebody to support him with the, the shot making and defense stuff. Yeah, no, that, that that's a good one actually, and you'd think maybe you could even get away with not giving up a first round pick for him. All right, uh, we'll we'll wrap up this segment and we'll come back and we'll talk about uh, two of the three or four. I I don't have a definitive list. Uh, tankiest teams in the NBA. That next on Locked On Nets. All right, uh, third and final segment, Gavin Shaw crossover episode with my guy Brendan Clean of Locked On Suns. You guys should check them out. They do an excellent podcast each and every week, and more than one time a week. It's it's uh, I, I get a lot of joy out of it as someone who is forced to be away from my beloved Suns. It is really quite a bit of 
Fun. All right. I, I want to do, wow, my rhyme there. That wasn't intentional. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, let, let, let's talk about this because these two teams have been rebuilding like seemingly forever. Obviously the Nets had that run with, uh, with old KG, old Paul Pierce, Joe Johnson hitting crazy shots. And, and they went like four no against the heat that season. Everyone was like, Oh, they're, they're going to beat the heat. And then they got ran by the heat in the playoffs. And that, that was a joke. And then they traded away all their picks have not been good since. Uh, Phoenix, ever since Steve Nash left, they have been cursed because they traded him to the Lakers. Uh, and they had that my, my freshman year of college, 2013-14. That team was an absolute joy. Uh, and, and they were probably one of the better teams in NBA history to miss the playoffs. Like, they were legitimately very good that year. But again, for the most part, it's it's been about, like, 12, 13 years between these two teams that they have not been very good. Uh, Phoenix is clearly closer to relevancy, I would say, like, having – a definite top end talent in Devin Booker and then potential blue chippers and guys like Josh Jackson, DeAndre Ayton, and then other young guys up and down the roster who, who look like they can contribute while the nets have some of those elements, but I, I wouldn't say the upside is, is quite as high. I guess this is, this is a long winded way of, of me asking you, Brendan, uh, what do you think of Ryan McDonough as a GM and the job he's done with this rebuild? Obviously it's taken forever, but it seems like the Suns are, are finally in a pretty good spot going forward. Yeah, I think it's good that you mentioned that 2013-14 team, which I love too. I think it's one of the more fun recent teams, especially in Phoenix. But really, just the way they play and the way they made that lineup, the, that roster work together was a blast. But to to focus in on it a little bit, I think that that season, what happened with winning 48 games and not making the playoffs, kind of tricking fans, which you know I don't think you're really tricking fans if you treat them to an awesome season, but tricking the organization into thinking that maybe they had something that I think ultimately we can now say they really didn't have. They wouldn't have ever probably been able to build that core into a championship roster. And even if they had added LaMarcus Aldridge, all the the what ifs since then. So I think that season tricked Ryan McDonough a little bit and, and altered the way that he went about the next few seasons in a way that I think set back the rebuild. I think if he had done what we've seen him do with this franchise, which is, consistently just hunting the season, tanking, you know, the, the good old fashioned way and ending up with guys like Josh Jackson, DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Bridges, the guys who populate the roster now, even the 2016 draft, getting those two bigs and Chris and, and Bender. If he had been doing that since 2013, I think that the Suns would, would now be in a position to be, you know, I hopefully contenders, but the, the rebuild would have gone a lot more smoothly. It's funny to think about a guy, a GM who, picked his probably probably we don't know about Aiton we really don't know about Jackson yet and Bridges the same but so far his two best draft picks came at the very end of the lottery 13 and 14 with Devin Booker and T.J. Warren that's rare but it also is indicative of kind of the stops and starts that happened at the beginning of his tenure in Phoenix uh, and the way that it kind of handicapped them going forward I think altogether he's had a vision it's just different points along the way have kind of tripped him up and he hasn't just had that tunnel vision of getting to a point where you're like the Sixers or the Celtics or the Lakers with tons of blue chip talent that you're sure will kind of materialize into a good team in the future. Yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. I've gotten into a million arguments with my friends about him who think he's just terrible because everyone just immediately brings up the Isaiah Thomas trade and then everyone forgets the fact that like they traded like Goran Dragic, who at the time was obviously very good and made an all-star team last year. So he's still very good, but was also an expiring free agent for two first round picks, one of which could like potentially end up in like the top five or 10 
two, three years down the road. Um, and it's, it's just like, yeah, there, there's so many elements to it because I, I think, I think you made a very good point on that 13, 14 team kind of creating a mirage and, and McDonough operating in a strange way, but that also somehow helped him in a way because he got all these guys that were currently good and then could just deal them all away for assets. And that was added on to the fact that they were tanking and it kind of created this two pronged rebuild that was uh, really interesting. And, and again, it's just resulted in a roster that is absolutely stacked with young talent now. And I, I feel like I'm like too close to the issue because like I've talked to him a few times. I know he's like somewhat wooden in like press conferences, but I, I don't know. I find him like a pretty engaging, like in, enjoyable dude. And like, I generally think he's pretty smart, but despite all that, and despite the fact that I think he's like, generally like wins like the majority of the trades that he's in outside of badly losing that Thomas one. Um, you can, you can definitely make the case. And I think I would that if he takes someone other than Devin Booker with that pick, and I believe the 2015 NBA draft, like he, he's already been fired at this point. I think that's exactly true. And I think when you, whenever you're a guy who we're heading into a season, by the way, with the Suns, where they've already flipped over, about half the roster from last season. It's just crazy the sheer number of transactions that he's made since he took over. So if you do the amount of moving that he's done, you're going to lose trades. That Isaiah Thomas one looks so bad in hindsight, but I don't think, you know, if anyone else knew what was coming, they would have signed him to that deal or a better one. And they would have jumped in front of the Celtics to make that trade. Like, you know, even the Celtics probably didn't know what they were getting. So I think, you know, when, when you're, like, you know, you look at the Sixers, when they when they tanked like they did, so notably, like, they traded away a probable Hall of Famer in Andre Iguodala and a perennial all-star candidate in Drew Holiday. Like, you trade away bad or good players when you want to become a bad team. I think that's just part of it. Um, I, I, I'm more of a McDonough guy than a lot of people here, but I wanted to actually ask you, what was your, I don't know if you've even looked at it, we just did a show on it today, so I'm, it's fresh in my mind, but the uh, ESPN future rankings. The Nets came out four spots ahead of the Suns. Really? That I don't have ESPN Insider, so I'm or ESPN Plus, okay. so I completely missed it. <laughs> yeah, they were tied for 18th, um, and the Suns were at 22nd. Wow! And uh, they ranked higher than the Suns in, especially management and um, well, market, which makes sense, but. They they were eighth in management, which I guess people just really love Sean Marks. But that just out, they were near the bottom in attendance last year, and you know haven't won in a long time as we're talking about. And they they were still almost in the middle of the league as far as these future rankings, which kind of try to peg where the team will be in a, in a few years. That that just was crazy. Yeah, no, I think I, I'm I'm really I'm really astounded by that. I don't know. I think that's like pretty clearly wrong. Like the Suns, like honestly, like. And I we we spend a lot of time on the net side of things talking about this, like guys like Karis Levert and Jared Allen. I, I do genuinely believe have star level upside, but none of them are neither of them are, are anything close to Devin Booker. I mean, like I think Karis Levert is already three years older than Devin Booker, and obviously they're not even comparable as players at this point. Jared Allen is a guy who had an incredible rookie season and looks to be a really strong two way big. I think there's a world where he ends up being a better player than DeAndre Ayton, but I, I don't consider that like the most likely scenario. Obviously, Ayton is just has a dramatically better pedigree. And then up and down the roster, the Suns just took all these swings on, on all these different guys that that I genuinely love, like someone like Josh Jackson, who who looked 
Like, I mean, if you want to call a guy a bust after 30 games, he looked like he could have been a bust early last season. And then the way he finished the year, I think it was somewhat under the radar, but he, he, he was absolutely spectacular. And, and then even guys like Elliot Cobo, uh, Michael Bridges, um, the, the man they just got from Houston, DeAnthony Melton, who I think could be pretty good down the road. Like, I, I just think the Suns have a chance to really be like 10 deep with genuinely talented two-way players and whether or not they can keep all these guys and whether that's going to be financially feasible. Like it's obviously like that would be like a, a good problem to have given the way the last few years have gone for Phoenix. But I, I don't know. I, I just, I don't think, I don't think the rosters are even in the same stratosphere. I, I just think Phoenix has way more depth at every single slot. I guess if you want to look at it from that kind of perspective, as for Sean Marks, like he, he's been, I think he's been absolutely brilliant. Like, I don't think there's another GM in the league who can, I think there are, there are quite a few who can do what he did. I don't see anyone doing better than what he did. He took a cupboard that was utterly bare and, and they just literally didn't have any assets, no talent. And he just manufactured guys out of thin air that if they don't have all-star potential are going to be very, very good starters in this league, and, and he suddenly turned the Nets into a team with a ton of cap room and a respectable amount of young talent. But again, like I, I just don't think that makes up for the gap in the rosters. Yeah, to be, I mean, to be fair, they gave the Nets, they ranked them 26th in terms of players, which is basically just talent yeah. in their rankings. It was everywhere else that they kind of made up for it, but just that sizable gap, that five slots between Phoenix and Brooklyn just kind of jumped out at me. But, I mean, we talk about like you can kind of pick Nets with – McDonough, I don't think you can pick nits with Marks. I agree with you. He's done a fantastic job. I mean, you would know better than me. You're talking about it every day. But from my perspective, yeah, he's pretty much been unassailably awesome in, in like you said, restocking the cupboard and just manufacturing a, a promising roster out of thin air. I'm, I'm super impressed with him. Like, if, if the Suns had him, I think things would be pretty different. I think he, you know, he had that tunnel vision of knowing what needed to be done and doing it, whereas McDonough maybe kind of faltered here and there yeah no t- tunnel vision that's really that that's like literally the perfect way to describe it like i think he's he's just laser focused and mcdonough was all over the place but i don't know i think it's going to end pretty well all right i could talk about this for four hours because these are two of my favorite teams i will let you go and enjoy your friday night brendan uh have one on mill Ave for me i, I hope, hope you get up to something cool tonight uh thank you so much for coming on yeah thank you pleasure to be on